Thank you, Jim. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians. book of Galatians will be in chapter 5 this morning. For oh, the better part of, oh, I don't know, 240-something years, I, I, I didn't do the math, um, our country has claimed itself to be the bastion of freedom and liberty, and for good reason, in many ways, um, you don't find dictators in America. Uh, we came out of a somewhat of a dictatorship, a monarchy in Britain, and we said, well, we don't want to be like that. We don't want one man to be able to control us. We don't want people way over there to be able to control us. And so when our fathers founded this country, one of the rallying cries was no taxation without representation. The thought is that if you're going to tax us, we should at least have a voice in that. Let us have some control over ourselves. In the 1860s, as many of you know, not from personal experience, but from your, your history lessons, I don't think any of you are that old, don't worry. Um, in the 1860s, Abraham Lincoln, as president, signed, or made, a, a, he signed it, but he also declared it through the Emancipation Proclamation that every slave in all the U.S. possessions and, and all of the rebelling states as well, every slave was to be freed. Of course, the Confederacy didn't quite go along with that until they lost the war, but that's kind of the way that works. The idea was every man should be in control of himself. Nobody should be a slave to someone else. He should have his own personal sovereignty over himself. In the 1910s, women said, what about us? And the fight for suffrage was on. Again, I'm not accusing any of you of being that old, but you may remember from your history classes women marching and, and fighting for the vote and fighting for the vote and fighting for the vote until finally the 19th Amendment made it so. In the 1960s, a group of Americans said, we're being mistreated. We shouldn't be. The 14th Amendment says that we're all equal under the law, and yet you're not applying that to us. And the Civil Rights Movement was led. All throughout this nation's history, we've had this idea of freedom, of liberty, and it's always revolved around two words, individual sovereignty. I should be able to say for myself what I did. When I was in school, there was a saying, uh, someone would do something that you didn't like, and you tell them, you can't do that. And they would say, it's a free country. This wasn't just an American thing. This was actually true back in ancient Greece. Aristotle and Cicero, for example, write about the problem of liberty being that everybody thinks it means you could just do what you want. So this is no new problem. Man has, even from the dawn of creation, fought to do whatever he wants. That taking the garden, in the garden, taking the fruit off the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you know what that really was? That was man and woman, Adam and Eve, saying we want to determine for ourselves how we will get knowledge. God says you don't eat from that tree. 
You eat from any other tree, Adam and Eve say, but we want to take it ourselves. And so the scripture says, she looked at it, she saw that it was good, and she took it and ate it. And ever since, man has been taking the thing that belongs to God, the sovereignty that is his, and claiming it for our own. You don't have to look any further. You just turn on the news and you see the effect today of that. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. Doesn't matter if it's true. Doesn't matter if it's right. Doesn't matter if it has any basis whatsoever. We have a Supreme Court that will determine what the law should be over against what the law actually is. Our we are so caught up in our own concept of freedom, of being able to do whatever we want, that we miss what freedom really is. This week, we celebrate the 4th of July, right? You have on your bulletin covers the, uh, the Constitution. That is a mistake. It should have been the Declaration of Independence. And the reason is because I searched Declaration of Independence and it came up with a picture of the Constitution. I'm not quite sure... If, I, if I'm the one to blame here because I wasn't smart enough to catch it or if the person who did the picture was the one to blame because they didn't know the difference. But in either case, what I meant to put on there was the Declaration of Independence, the height of American, um, I'm going to tell it like it is sort of, sort of thing in American history. The problem is freedom is not doing what you want. It's not just the ability to do whatever you want. That's not what genuine freedom is. In fact, listen to what Paul says about freedom in Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The biblical concept of freedom is vastly different from our concept. Our concept is we can do whatever we want, but the biblical concept of freedom is something so much more rich, so much more powerful and meaningful, so much more beneficial to us. You see, this idea that I can do whatever I want leads us into slavery because we're all slaves. Did you know that? You say, but we're free. This morning, I want to show you the slavery that is so easy to fall into. Even when you think you have liberty, you're going to be a slave. You're going to be a slave to something. You're going to be serving something. And as Joshua commanded the Israelites, choose you this day whom you will serve because you're going to serve. As we look at Galatians chapter 5 this morning, I want us to ask Really two questions. Number one, what is biblical freedom? What does is, what is freedom really mean? Because apart from the scripture, it's easy to get lost in the trap of freedom is what I want. Being able to do what I want. What does freedom really mean? And then secondly, what do we do with it? How do we actually use it? Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to switch up just a little bit, Nicole, so follow along with me. Sorry. Y'all, um, it is hard enough for somebody to keep up with me for the slides um, that's an adult, 
but Nicole has been filling in as a teenager, and she's been doing a fantastic job. So let her know how much you appreciate her trying to decipher where I'm going to go ahead of time because she she has a tough task ahead of her, I promise. Galatians 5.1, we just read it a second ago. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's two commands that Paul immediately tells us here. He says, it's because of freedom that Christ has set us free. So let's set, first of all, let's set in our minds that Christ has set us free to be free. I know that seems kind of weird, but keep that in mind because as we talk about this, we're going to realize what that means and we're going to start to think along the lines of, well, Christ has set us free so that we can X. No, Christ has set us free for freedom. And as we define freedom, you're going to start to realize just how powerful that is. He hasn't set you free to do X, but to be free. Okay? So we set that in our minds. Christ has set us free so that we can be free. I know it, hang with me here, okay? But then he gives two commands. He says, stand firm and do not submit. Stand firm. The word literally talks about standing, but it's also figurative. Have you ever heard the phrase stand for what is right? That's what he's saying here. Stand for what is right. Stand up. Sometimes I tell my kids, be a man. I know they're not men yet. I set the bar high. Why? So I don't hit my head on it when I'm walking underneath it, right? No, I set the bar high because I want them to get above that bar. You set the bar low, they're not going to do anything. You set the bar high, we make a difference here. We set the bar high, I set the bar high, I tell them be a man, man up. I'm not telling them that they have to be a man all the time in every single circumstance right now in their lives. I'm telling them that's where the standard is. I want you to live like a man. Because as you're trying to do that now, you will become what you are being. In other words, if you are setting a higher standard and you're trying to reach for it, you're going to fail and fail and fail to hit that standard, but you're going to get better and better and better until you do pass, until you do make it above that bar. That's why I do not want doctor's exams to be graded on a curve. I don't care that you were the 15th best in your class? Do you know what you're talking about? That's what I care about. Do you actually know your stuff? Y'all don't want a doctor who passed because the whole class's grades were low and so everybody was bumped up. You don't want that. You don't want a banker. (laughs) You don't want a banker who doesn't know how to add and subtract. Right? Well, you don't mind if they add. (laughs) You just don't want them to make the mistake subtracting. It's funny how those little, little errors can be big errors when they're put in the wrong way, huh? Stand firm, he says. One commentator said this. Actually, this came from a, a dictionary article on this word. This standing does not result from secular security such as health, power, property, or connections. It's not based on the stuff. 
It's not based on what we normally think of that makes us secure. It's not having good locks on the doors and it's not having plenty of money in the bank and it's not having good health and it's not having the the connections and the networking with people in high places. That's not what this standing is connected to. This standing, it is based on the transcendent God on whose promise faith is fixed. You really want to know how you can stand firm. You got to stand on the rock. You can't stand firm on sands that shift, that are washed away by every ebb and flow of the tide. You got to be standing on the rock. That's the only way to stand. So he says, stand firm, get your feet on the rock. He lifted me from the miry clay and he set my feet upon the rock. That's what God does. He will not suffer my foot to be moved. For he that keepeth me does not slumber. Yea, he does not sleep. Stand firm. He also says don't submit. This is two sides of the same coin. One is stand your ground. One is don't give it up. Don't submit again. Submit to what? Slavery. Every time the Bible talks about freedom, it always talks about slavery. Now you might think, well, okay, that makes sense, you know, because you're either free or you're a slave. Somebody owns you or not, right? But that's not the kind of slavery we're talking about here. The kind of slavery we're talking about is a slavery to sin. And so Paul says, if you have been set free, why are you going to go right back into the slavery which you were just freed from? If you were in prison and they let you out, your sentence ended and they let you go, why would you come back the next day to get put back in jail? Doesn't make sense. Why would you submit again to the chains from which you have been delivered? That doesn't make sense. Paul says, don't go back into that. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about these folks called the Judaizers. Freedom. They've been set free from the sin. Now, the the Judaizers, remember, were teaching that if you wanted to be a good Christian, you had to first be a good Jew. And chief among that was circumcision. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. He's going to lay out the problem here. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you take what these false teachers are teaching you, if you take this idea that you have to be circumcised and follow the law bit by bit, everything on your checklist, if you take that and you accept that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Why come to Christ if you can be righteous by the law? I testify again, verse 3, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Do you see the slavery term? An obligation. It's a debt. It's no longer... Most people were slaves because they owed what they could not pay. He says, if you accept circumcision, you're going back into debt. How many of you have a paid-off home? You have no mortgage on your house. You want to go get a mortgage? Why not? Because you don't have one, right? Why would you go back to that? Your house is free and clear. It's yours. Why would you go back? That's what Paul's saying here. If you, you've accepted Christ, now you're going to go back into circumcision and put yourself under the law? You, you, you're chaining yourself back up. 
Verse 4, you are severed from Christ who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You started so well. Hang on. I don't need to go there yet. We're getting there in a minute. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. Hope, remember, is not cross your fingers, knock on wood, maybe it'll all work out. Hope is certain anticipation of what you know is coming, even though you don't have any evidence to show that it's about to be there. You can't necessarily see the time, the signs, but you know it's coming because God has said it's coming, and you know that he is true to his word. So we, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. We're, we're desperate for God to finally make things right that we know he's going to do, but he hasn't done yet. He started the process, but he ain't finished. And so we eagerly await for that, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see, here's what Here's what Paul is getting to. It's not whether you're circumcised or not. That's not what matters. He's not saying if you're circumcised, you've got no chance. He's not saying if you're uncircumcised, then you're better off. He's saying it doesn't matter. That's not what it is. It's faith working through love. Now, Christ has set them free. Paul calls the Galatians to live in the freedom. Live in the freedom. Don't put yourself back under the law. You've been set free. Now, for some of these people, they were never under the law technically in the first place. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. But they were in their own slavery. They were in their own slavery. So, so Paul says, don't go back. Don't chain yourself back up. For this analogy, I guess it would be better to say, all right, you, you just got out of prison where you were chained up. So now you're going to go over here and instead of being put in prison again, you're going to be locked up in a dungeon. Makes sense. You were bound. You were enslaved. You have been set free. Live like you're free. Don't, don't, don't put the chains back on. Any chains. It doesn't even matter. Any chains. Don't put those back on. Be free. The problem is they, they don't do that very well. <laughs> they want to they submit themselves again, and so Paul has to tell them. In fact, do you remember back in, verse one, in chapter 1? Um, this, this isn't on the slides, but in chapter one, Paul just flat out says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. Do you remember that? He doesn't even, he doesn't give them the normal customary greeting. Thanks be to God. I thank God for you every time I mention you in my prayer. He doesn't say any of that because then this is a crisis and he gets straight to the point. How are you deserting the gospel? How are you running away so fast? I don't get it. Why would you run away from this? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. 
And he starts to explain to them that you guys are screwing up. You are leaving the gospel, the genuine gospel, the one that has set you free for this tyranny of slavery to sin by being put back under the law. Then in chapter 3, he doesn't mince any words again. Verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians! Duh, what are you doing? That's what he says. What are you doing? Who has bewitched you? And remember, we talked about that. That wasn't just getting tricked. That was allowing yourself to be tricked. They were letting themselves be tricked. Now again, he gives them straight up. He says, you were running well. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul gives an athletic analogy. Think about a runner. I have a friend who just ran in the Boston Marathon not too long ago. Um, it was a lifelong bucket list kind of item for him. He, he was very excited about it. And he, he talked about a lot of things in preparing to run that race. He talked about um, the conditioning that he had to go through. He talked about the hydration that he needed and making sure that his body was had the fuel that it needed to run. He talked about pacing himself. You don't want to you don't want to run a four-minute mile anywhere in a marathon. You run a four-minute mile in a marathon, you're toast. You, you're not finishing the marathon. It's way too fast. you got to set a pace. You have a goals, and at every mile, you're trying to hit miles by certain, by certain points of time, trying to keep a certain pace up. You don't want to go too fast because you'll burn out. You don't want to go too slow because it's a marathon. you got a long way to go. You want to keep a good pace. He talked about building his stamina up. He even said, you got to make sure your shoes are tied. <laughs> even the little details matter when you're running 26 plus miles. Paul sees that in the Galatians. They're running well. They're on track. They're doing great. Man, they have, they have really gotten into this. They're moving fast enough that the gospel is spreading and people are learning about Jesus and great things are happening. But they're also not running so fast that they run out of wind. This is a people who is running well. They're on track. They're going to finish strong. And then someone cuts them off. Someone runs into their lane, cuts them off, and trips them up. That's the image of who hindered you. Who is it that came in your lane and cut you off? Who is it that made you stumble and fall? Who is it that kept you from keeping on running this race? From obeying the truth? Who is it? Who was it that did that to you? Now, Paul knows who it was. What he's asking them is, how did you let that happen? See, one thing a runner has to do is keep an eye on the sides. Because if somebody comes over into your lane, that's, that's dangerous. Now, you can't be looking to the sides all the time. But you've got to have at least enough peripheral to see something's coming. And they get blindsided. They don't see it. 
Who hindered you? Who's tripping up the Galatians? Well, those Judaizers. They were preaching that Christians, especially Gentile Christians, had to follow every step of the law to find favor with God. They really hit it with circumcision. That's why Paul spends so much time talking about it. Saying that you absolutely had to be circumcised to be a part of God's people. If you really want to be part of God's people, this is the way you have to do it. It's so bad. Paul Paul doesn't mince words. He just cuts straight to the chase. Look in verse 12. It's so bad, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. He says, man, never mind. I won't say that. We've got young years. The fact of the matter is, it is so bad. It is so bad for these Gentile Christians. They are causing such problems, such distress, that Paul can't mince words. He has to get to the heart of it. Paul tells the the Galatian Christians, avoid the pitfall of putting the chains back on after you've been freed in Christ. Mitchell, sit down, please. Thank you, buddy. But we really haven't answered the question, what is biblical freedom? And all this time, Paul's been talking about how they've wandered away from freedom. How, how, how the, the problem of circumcision has really, has really caused the issues. And yet, he hasn't really addressed what biblical freedom really looks like. You see, in the biblical sense, freedom is a liberation from slavery. Particularly slavery to sin. Jesus was talking about freedom to some Jews. Some Jews were hearing his message and and were coming along with him. Um, But Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he's like, Paul's like Jesus. I I was going to say Jesus was like Paul, but Paul was like Jesus in this. He doesn't mince words. He gets right to the heart of the matter. In John chapter 8, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, truly you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What he's told them is basically, if you really believe, you're going to live in my word. And if you live in my word, it's going to set you free. Free from what? Verse 33, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? I want to pause right here for a second because this is where a lot of people are. A lot of people are in the place of, I have never been a slave. I've never been owned by anybody. I've never, I've never been enslaved to someone. I've never had someone that I call master. Someone that I have to follow. In this American dream, The American dream is what? To own a nice house with a white picket fence and nice car and everything. You know, all that kind of stuff. You know what that really is? Individual sovereignty. It's the fact that I can do whatever I want with my life. And people walk around thinking they can do whatever they want with their life that I'm not enslaved to anybody. How can you say I'm going to be free? I've never been a slave. I've always been free. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. How can you tell me I'm not free? But the fact of the matter is, That unless you have been set free by Christ, you are not free. 
The fact of the matter is that if you've not been set free by Christ, you are a slave. Slave to what? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see it? Y'all, we are born in slavery to sin. From the time that we are a twinkle in our mother's eye, being formed in the womb, we've been exposed to sin. That's not a very popular message. When we're born, we're born only thinking of ourselves. I know, they're a little baby. They're so precious. But the fact of the matter is, little babies only think of themselves. They don't care how mama feels. They're hungry. Doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. They've been crying all night. Doesn't matter that mama ain't had sleep in a week. Or two. Or 15 years. That doesn't matter. That baby is only equipped to think of itself. Have you ever noticed that you have to teach a child to think of others? You don't have to teach them to think of themselves? Have you ever noticed that? Some of you are like, well, not my baby. (laughs) I promise you, your baby. Some of you are like, my baby's a grandparent now. (laughs) But yep, they were exactly like that. I have yet to find a baby who cares when mama's tired and they're hungry. That's all they can do is think of themselves. We're born in sin. And because we're born in sin, we practice sin. And we think we're free. We think we have all of these different freedoms that we can do whatever we want. But the reality is we're not free at all. You know how to chain an adult elephant? You start when he's a baby. Chain them. Drive that stake down into the ground. Chain attach. Put the chain on him. And he tries to walk around a while and he gets to the end of that chain and he tries to pull it and pull it and pull it and he can't pull it. When he gets to be an adult, you take that same chain, that same stake, you drive it in the ground, attach the stake to him, He won't ever pull that stake up. He's an adult elephant. He can easily pull that stake up. He's still trapped. You know sin does that to us? It traps us in such a way that we think we have freedom. We think we can roam around to all of this different area that we want when in reality we don't know that the chain is holding us back from getting to where we need to be. Now, I'm not telling you a prosperity message that if you just let go, that you're holding on to the thing that's holding you back. I'm not not saying that. I'm saying the thing that's holding you back has got a death grip on you, and you can't get out. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son makes you free, 
If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That ought to look familiar to y'all. You passed that sign for the last month with that verse on there. Do you know why I put it on there? For this Sunday. Because if God's Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The problem is that we are slaves to sin. Jesus Christ is the only one who can redeem us from that. But the picture of redemption isn't just that I get you out of the slavery to sin so now you can do whatever you want. No, the picture is I've saved you from slavery to sin. Now you can serve God. You think, wait a minute. That sounds like slavery. It is. It is. See, that's the great thing, though. You're going to be a slave. You're going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to Christ. One or the other. There's no, there's no other option. There's no free option where you get to control your own destiny. Trust me, you don't want to control your own destiny. It's much better to let God control your destiny. Amen? It, it has been for me. I, I'm, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. Jesus sets us free from bondage of sin, but he puts us, he puts us into a captivity held by the very God of the universe who made us, who fashioned us, who formed us to fill his purposes. When God made Adam and Eve, he didn't make them free to do whatever they wanted. Do you know why? Because they were created with the purpose of serving God. We were made to be God's servants. We were designed for that. And so this idea of I can do whatever I want, that is hogwash. Freedom is I can do whatever God wants. Because until Christ sets you free, you are not able to fulfill the demands and the requirements of an almighty, righteous, holy God. But when Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. You are suddenly able to do the things that God wants of you to do, the things that God has made for you to do, and the things that God has designed you specifically to do. Do you know you have a purpose? God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I fashioned you in the womb, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. I designed you for this. And he's designed you to. What for? What's he made you for? Well, I can't answer specifically, but I can answer a little more general because Paul does. We kind of have this idea. Biblical freedom is being set from slave, set free from slavery to sin. Being made so that we can serve God. But what do we do with that freedom? What do we do with that freedom? Go back to Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. I find it interesting. We didn't happen upon it. We were called to it. It's the same idea of God building a church. Calling together a body of people who, who are his people to join together in a fellowship of mission. That doesn't just mean we eat a lot. 
Though I tell you, we eat good, we eat good when we eat. I'm telling you. We are here banded together to fulfill God's purposes. That's why he's put us here. So you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to it. God brought you into freedom. You didn't just wander in on your own. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Here is, here is how you use biblical freedom. You use biblical freedom by serving one another in love. Instead of looking out for what you want to do and doing what you think is in your own best interest, you look out for the other person. You've seen this in your marriages. It doesn't work very well when you only think about yourself. Looks a whole lot better when you got your spouse in mind. Works a whole lot better when you're dedicated to them. Amen? I, I, I've only been doing this 12 years. If I'm wrong, please tell me. Please. Because I really need to figure this out. When I put her first, my marriage goes so much better. And I'm not just talking about because happy wife, happy life. That's not what I mean. What I mean is when I put her first, marriage works the way that it's designed to work. When I love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, it works the right way. It's amazing how much better my life is when I treat her the way she needs to be treated. And the same works the other way around. When she is submissive to me, and I know that's not a popular word, but it's the biblical word. When she is submissive to me, you know what I find out? I find out her advice is a lot better <laughs> than what I was thinking. I ask her sometimes, I'll say, read over this passage and tell me what sticks out to you. And first couple times I did it, she kind of looked at me weird, like, you never want me to have input on your sermon. One time I was preaching from Mark 9, it was the, the Syrophoenician woman who's bringing her daughter her daughter is really messed up and she spent all her life savings trying to get this daughter healed, gone to doctors and, and all kinds of different people. Nobody can heal her daughter. And she is so desperate, she comes into Israel, finds Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you don't, you don't take table food and throw it to the dogs. And she, that was like a little softball. She knocks it around, heart, she says, but even the dogs get scraps. And he looked at her and he said, man, you've got better faith than anyone I've seen in all of Israel. And she said, when, when Carrie read through that story, she said, I can't imagine the pain she went through. And I'm like, what? I mean, I pretty much thought of it the way I just told you. And she said, well, your daughter is sick and can't be healed and you're doing everything you can? She must have been desperate. And I'm like, I mean, my eyes were, I didn't even see that. And it turns out my wife is actually pretty good. <laughs> it turns out that when she submits to me, when I love her, when there's this mutual submission going on, because that's what Paul's talking about in the passage, submit to one another. Is uh, five, Ephesians 5.21 is submit to one another. 
And then in 522, he starts talking about husbands and wives. In 6.1, he starts talking about kids and parents. I think it's in 6.4, he starts talking about masters and servants. And in all these things, he's saying, in all of your relationships, submit to each other. That submission looks different. But it's a submission that works. He says, don't use your freedom just to do what you want to do. Serve one another. That's how we use our freedom. We use it to serve. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where have I heard that before? Leviticus 19.11. Where else have I heard that from? From Jesus. God comes to Jesus. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Ongoing scholarly debate of the day. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And he says the bonus, he says, and the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting. When you love God, when you've been set free, you can suddenly serve one another in a whole new way. You can genuinely love. That's what our freedom is to be used for. Then a warning, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It can turn bad. We like to think of ourselves as a family. I don't know how many of you uh, have fully functional families. There's always at least somebody, right? Somebody that's just not quite right. We've got a couple of those around here. But I've got to be honest with you. I don't see a lot of biting and devouring. When I look out at this congregation, I don't see that. Let's, let's keep it that way. Let's keep loving and serving one another in our Christian freedom. Let's continue to do that. And by the way, it is okay for families to grow. Bring someone in. Invite someone new. Let them experience the love that we have. Freedom isn't a license to just do what you want. It's an opportunity. An opportunity to love. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to experience life the way God meant us to live it. It doesn't mean I get to make my own choices. It means I get the chance to serve the Almighty God and fulfill my purpose. That's Christian freedom. And I tell you, as great as America is, this is just a temporary residence for me. I'm going to a place where there's true freedom. If you know Christ, you can look forward to that. If you don't, I'd love to help you know how. If you hear us talk about freedom and you say, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced freedom. Well, today is your day. Boy, that sounded that sounded prosperity-ish, but today is your day to know what true freedom is. I'm going to be standing at the front while 
Linda and Kim come for the invitation. Y'all come on, it's okay. You do what God wants you to do. You experience the freedom of following him while we sing this song.